Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. It's the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I women's college tennis world. And joining me, as he always does, to break down what was a busy week in the college tennis season. It's crazy to say this out loud, folks. We are nearer to the finish line than the starting line of this 2023 spring dual match season. Joining me to take stock of where everything stands as he does each and every week here on Tuesday nights is a man you know best as, of course, a returning the returning champion of returning champions, excuse me, here on our Crack Racket shows, the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, a man recording from offsite here tonight. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Still the returning champion of returning champions. I don't know what I was thinking. You could tell I knew I messed up as it was coming out of my mouth. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I go offsite and now my title changes. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing okay. Last week, you threw me an audible. You switched it up. We pre-recorded. Today, Mother Nature threw me an audible. Uh, she decided to turn off my power. So yeah. I am uh, dialing in here offsite, uh, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we could still make this work. Well, I appreciate your efforts. I appreciate the fact that you are willing to pre-record this week. We have our last week, excuse me. We have yet to miss an episode so far this season. We're going to go for the perfect score here in 2023. But to a point I made earlier before we get into anything, I feel like it is an appropriate time for us to take stock, right? We've now had a couple of weeks of conference play. Certainly we're a month removed now from the national indoor championships I don't know, halfway mark. Does that feel about right for this season? I think it does. And I think any team looking at their conference schedule feels like they've probably got some conference foes out of the way and some conference foes still left to play. So I think halfway feels about right. That was a great rhyme, first Thank of all, you. from you. Maybe Thank offsite, you. but it's all working for you tonight. Yeah, I just think there are no more layups is the wrong word. There's no more room for error, margin for error. There we go in the schedule. All of these matches from here onwards have MCAA implications. And I do want to spend a little bit more time here on tonight's show, looking at the week ahead, because there are a lot of matches that caught my eye. I'm sure plenty caught yours as well. But of course, before we get there, we got to break down everything that's happened over the course of the past week. We had some major news involving one of the top contenders for the 2020 23 NCAA tournament. So, of course, we'll start with that to lead tonight's show. As we alluded to earlier, plenty of conference play happening across the country as well. Notable results, not only just for the top teams in the country, but of course, those teams competing for top 16 seed, those teams competing for a spot in the NCAA tournament as well. We'll get into all of the most notable results. Again, get into our rankings, take stock of where things stand from our tiers perspective, look at the week ahead and so much more. All of that in under an hour, as that is the deal I made with John J. Parsons here moving forward on this show. Of course, if we can't be that efficient. And to the listeners. Out. Yeah, and exactly. Well, when I say to you, you cover all categories. Again, returning <laughs> champion of returning champion. The umbrella I, term. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. If I make a contract with you, it's a contract with the Cracked Rackets gods. Um, so that is the agenda for tonight's show. Of course, the reason we are able to oh, <laughs> we got a funny note and he can chime in here when we do our live shows. And thank you to everyone joining us here tonight on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. West Stuff says and a deal to West Stuff as well, which is the true Cracked Rackets God, as you know. So, of course, that's the agenda. The reason we're able to do it all because all of you do tune in week in, week out. And I told this to Chris as well, but I'll just share the story twice because it's a decent story. I was on the grounds in Phoenix last week, obviously had a keen eye focused on all the players with college ties, the Nuno Borgeses, Alexander Kovaceviches of the world. And I was sitting next to someone who was interested in why I was watching Kova of all people and what my job was, all these different things. I was explaining, oh, I work in tennis. I have a particular affinity for college tennis, which I cover closely. And he goes, oh, if you cover college tennis closely, you must know Alex Gruskin, right? He covers everything. (laughs) I was kind of like, I'm not going to repeat the joke I said in my head, but I was like, I just lifted my name tag. I was like, yeah, that's that's me. Um, And so shout out to Ben. I believe he's at I don't want to share his Twitter handle in case he doesn't want to share because I didn't ask for permission. But shout out to Ben. He's the man. Um, and experiences like that are what make this show so special. It's why we do it week in, week out. So I uh, felt the need to share that story with you and all the listeners. And if you see me in the wild, please do come say hello because it's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, of course, one of my other favorite things is being decked out in this LS gear. I mean, again. It's if it if it makes me look good, imagine what it can do for you. Uh, a shout out to our friends at LS who have supported us all year long and will continue to do so throughout the course of this 2023 college tennis season. They have an elite catalog of, again, whether it's hoodies, polos, you name it, they've got it. You can find it all by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. A massive shout out to our dear friends at LS for their continued support of this show. All right. All of that established, let's get into everything that's happened over the course of the past week. And I think the place we have to start is with the team we've had, number two, in our Crack Rackets poll since the end of the 2023 National Indoors, a team that's worked its way up to number two in the actual ITA rankings as well. A team that I think many consider a a prohibitive contender to capture the 2023 NCAA title. And that, of course, is the Texas A&M Aggies. Now, the Aggies have lost one match this season. It was a loss 4-2 in the NC uh, National Indoor, excuse me, semifinals to North Carolina, a match we both had the pleasure of attending in person. They haven't lost since. They didn't lose this past weekend. They survived 5-2 victory over Miami, a match you rightly pointed out before it began was one certainly Miami had a shot to knock off the Aggies on this day. And the reason you emphasize that fact, not just because Miami is an exceptional squad, but because, of course, this team had been without Carson Brandstein of late. And Brandstein partnered with Mary Stoyana. I believe they're number three in the latest ITA doubles ranking. She had one 60 to 70 percent of her singles matches between the one and two single spots over the past season and a half. They're going to be without Brandstein for the remainder of the year. And look, this team has depth. They have options. They have players to turn to. But let's just start right there. There is no denying when you lose a top five doubles player in the country and a player who's playing top two in your singles lineup. I mean, it's a devastating loss, not just obviously you feel it for Brandstein, who hasn't gotten to play much college tennis throughout the course of her career, finally seems to have found her rhythm in college station and then undergoes an injury like this, which just, you know, takes control out of your hands. You're devastated on that front. You're also devastated because God was this A&M team so, so good. And you just want to see the best teams at their best. And this team if they were at their best, had the opportunity to finish the year as the best. Yeah, they did. You know, and I think as fans of college tennis, you want those teams to step up. We all know that North Carolina undefeated right now, ranked number one. You want to see these other teams rival North Carolina. And you felt like that match in indoors between North Carolina and Texas A&M really had that that vibe and that sense. And you felt like, okay, if this Texas A&M team outdoors, you know, they could really be competitive against North Carolina and they've 
you know, had ups and downs since that indoors match, but certainly their best includes a Carson Brandstein, you know, in the top two position. So it's unfortunate to see, obviously you mentioned she's had injuries throughout her career, derailed her from playing at all at USC and UVA, finally starting to, you know, seemingly get healthy, you know, acclimate to college tennis and to have this, it's a big blow. Um, you know, on the flip side, I think, it's an okay time for this to happen for Texas A&M, certainly on the heels of that win over Miami. They had to do it without Carson Brandstein, and you know now they'll need to rally. Um, but certainly a massive blow both to Texas A&M's chances at winning the NCAA title and also just for us as fans. With Brandstein healthy, they were unequivocal title contenders. Without her presence, it doesn't mean they're out of the fight. And I just do want to point out the options they have moving forward because obviously, look, they're prepared to have everyone move up a spot. Stoyana is ready to play one. And so far throughout the course of the season, Mary Stoyana, uh, 9-0 and when she has lined up at the number one spot, 12-1 and overall on the season. She'll be fine. You move up a Selma Ewing, who's 8-5 and overall in the year, but obviously has been an All-American in the past. You feel fine with her at the two spot. You move up, you know, uh, hopefully a healthy Mia Kupras to the three spot. Well, she's 13-1 overall this year. You feel fine. J.C. Goldsmith, 12-2 and overall this year, but she lost, what, two matches total last year at the four spot. You feel fine there. Even, I think, Smetnikov moving up to to the number five where she's nine and three overall so far this season, everyone feels well positioned to slide up a spot. And here's the thing you bring in a Jeanette Morales who overall this season, the sophomore seven and one when she has been in dual match action and she has gotten to see a bunch of late, you know, you have a Gianna pilot who of course played a ton of matches throughout the singles lineup last year. They still have choices they still have depth. I don't know. Like, I still think if I'm making tiers, is is North Carolina now maybe on their own in tier 1A? That might be the fair assessment. But I would still put them in that tier one firmly in the national championship conversation. Yeah, I, I think the distinction is, you know, you could hold on to the argument that North Carolina and Texas A&M were both in a tier um, you know, amidst themselves. I think you could sure. make that argument. I don't think you can make that argument when they lose Carson Brandstein. I think Texas A&M, to your point, has a lot of depth, right? And even bringing, you know, Morales up to six, you still have Pilot on the bench, right? Who played at six last season. So they have a lot of depth. It's just bringing those players that you talked about, like a Ewing who has struggled at three, right? Bringing her up to two. Kupris, um, you know, acclimating who has looked solid. I think those that's the question. You bring everyone up. That's the downside. I think it's unequivocal. UNC is in a tier by themselves. And then the second tier is where Texas A&M falls with, I would say, a few other teams. Yeah. And look, A&M this weekend without Brandstein, they dropped doubles and it is going to be something to have to negotiate new pairings. Ewing and Goldsmith, who had been really good this year, they lose a tough match uh, this week. And then at three, it's no longer Pilot and Kupras. It's Pilot and Morales, who lose a tough set 6-4. Now Kupras and Stoyana at that two spot. You know, now doubles where they dominated UNC at the indoors. That goes from maybe one of their biggest strengths to certainly a massive question mark in the immediate future. But Stoyana, three sets over Noel. Cooper, straight sets over Fenning. Goldsmith, 7-5 in the third over Bach Collins. And then Smetnikov, a good freshman on freshman crime. 5-4 and four over Mia Mack. That's a good win for the freshman. Obviously, Morales got a win over Tahan as well. They still have depth. They're still very good. And we're going to get into those tier distinctions later on. But, yeah, that's a really good win uh, for Texas A&M, particularly given that match was at home, right? Like on, on the home soil, even a brand uh, a Brandstein down on home courts, a tier one national championship contending team wins that match. And that's what they go out and do. So that was a really impressive victory. That's where I wanted to lead tonight's show. That said, a lot of other things happening. In particular, I want to turn to the SEC because it was a boisterous week of action in the uh, SEC and every result mattered. Every result offered just like a sliver, a little nugget of intrigue uh, moving forward. Let's start with Georgia or let's just start with the Auburn weekend in general because Auburn knocked off 5-2 by Georgia for what it's worth, they take the doubles point 
in that match. Georgia, good bounce back, uh, you know, for them to do that match, uh, win that match, particularly given it was at home. I don't think that was unexpected. The big one is Tennessee. They get another one. Tennessee 6-1 over this Auburn team, Jay. I'm not going to toot the horn because I've done that enough throughout the course of the season as it relates to Tennessee, but I don't know. Someone in this show was certainly a believer in these Vols entering this 2023 season, and we had this conversation. There's a lot of similarities in these Auburn and Tennessee rosters. Ultimately, Tennessee, again, dominant, dominant in singles, Jay. They win all six singles matches. They win them all in straight sets. Come on now. Your thoughts on these two results. Well, I mean, the one silver lining for Auburn is that they did win doubles uh, in both of those matches. Uh, But look, Tennessee, you know, I think we've both been uh, aware that this is a talented team. I think I made the comparison that this Tennessee team this year is the Auburn team of last year, right? Where you're not sure where they're going to win their points, but they could win at every single position. And they did that exactly against Auburn this time. It was a dominant performance. I think it probably didn't help Auburn having to go inside uh, there at Tennessee, but Tennessee is looking every bit kind of the tier two at this point, maybe a tier one contender given the the Brandstein departure in the SEC. Can I give you a Tennessee hot take? Sure. What if they're the A&M of last year where it's a really experienced team and last year's A&M team, you had Makarova, you had Goldsmith, I'm blanking on who played six. She was injured a lot throughout the start of the season. She was in by the end, but you had a lot of experienced pieces. Brandstein, I know it was her first full year of play, but certainly had been around the college tennis block. You never knew exactly where they were going to win their points, but they could win them just about everywhere. You know, again, we didn't get to see that team really tested at the national indoors. We didn't get to see this Tennessee team at the national indoors this season. And yet both teams have thrived in conference play that's a common thread between the two is that a fair comparison no because <laughs> the a and m team last year you knew you could count on points you okay. knew macrova and goldsmith are going to win at doubles they were probably going to win the doubles point you knew macrova was going to win at number two and i think that a and m team of last year had more elite and talent than this tennessee team does right don't think they really have like a top 20 player on the team, but they have like six, 25 through, yeah. yeah, 25, I would say to like 75, right? They got like sure. six players in that range. Um, and that's why I think it's much more equivalent to Auburn of last year where, you know, there wasn't really a top 20 player on that team, but they just had a ton of depth and all of those players were a very similar level. 13 and two now overall on the season wins over Auburn, uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, obviously the two losses are the more significant ones losses at NC state at Ohio state seems really good. This team has firmly ensconced itself in that top 16 discussion. And again, that's a very good win over Auburn tough road weekend. And I mean, no doubt about that for the tigers. I don't know if I read too much into this on their end, right? It's just like they were on, you know, a lot of things have broken right for Auburn this weekend, uh, this year, this weekend, they didn't. Yeah, I I don't know if I expected these score lines, but I didn't expect Auburn to come away with a victory. This feels about where their level is. I think to start the season, things were, were breaking right. And as you said, you know, now it's tougher tests. The question is for the freshmen again, how do they hold up this deep into the season? And I guess the real thing for me is they lost eight matches straight set. You know, the first four singles matches after winning doubles in both matches, you lose eight of them in straight sets. Can't have that. Yeah, it's tough. And they probably with, you know, Ovunk out for the season who would probably anchor this team at number one. This is an example of these freshmen, right, who are sitting there in the middle of the lineup, all have to move up a spot, right, and playing higher than they likely would. So they're all getting battle tested and they're, you know, losing matches that they're not used to losing and losing more than they're used to losing. It's good experience for these freshmen in the long term, but it's, you know, Tough getting roughed up in the SEC. Very well said. Well, speaking of which, we had a major upset in the SEC. Oh, you have something else? Well, we did, and we can transition to that in a second. But we also had an upset in that Georgia-Auburn match. Carolyn Ansari beating Dasha Vidmanova, I Mm -hmm. thought was 
a stunning result. So that was the one player that really turned it around from that Tennessee match to get a result that I don't think most people saw coming. See, you're right in the sense that it was surprising. You're right in the sense of the matchup. You feel like the Vidmanova weapons would, she'd have time to get to them. But that's just what Ansari does. Like she's one of those, all right, backs are against the wall. We need the set here. And don't worry, Ansari's going to force the third. You got two hours there. We have some time. Like after but winning was that it double- three sets? No, no, no. She won in straights. Yeah. You're correct. But I'm that's- saying just in general, like she's not losing matches. In less than three sets. That's just like, I I don't know. It didn't shock me that much. But she did against Tennessee. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I she just used had the to magic. Give, yeah, I had to give credit uh, to her. But you're right. There was a, a team upset uh, that I we won- should also talk I about. I wonder, though, was she I'll, – I'll look it up as we're after we're talking about the team upset. Was she the last one off, though, in that Tennessee match? Because that – you know, at that no, point – No, she wasn't. Oh. DJ Bennett and Lopata were the last one. They played a 10 point tie break. No, no, no. I'm saying in the, in the Auburn Tennessee match. Oh, in the Tennessee match. Yeah. Because if you've oh. already, if your team's lost five straight set matches and you're the sixth one on, that's a schedule mm-hmm. loss. That's just like, I, 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 anyways, we can move on from there. Let's talk about the upset. Kentucky winless in sec play last season. They've now gotten a couple wins in conference play, including an impressive 4-2 victory on the road in Gainesville. This Kentucky team takes the doubles point. They get a straight set victory at the number six uh, singles position and three set wins at the one in three spots. You had four three setters in this match, Jay. I mean, Kentucky's just scrappy. Like I've watched this team with my eyes and Arushia, Molina, Gonzalez, even Eliitis, who has rapidly worked her way up the lineup, they just have grinders up and down. They make you work. It's a really good win for Kentucky. Well, it's huge for the ranking. It's huge for their placement in the SEC. But you know, Florida was without Dahlstrom at the number two position, who has been extremely solid, like coming off a win over Sarah Hamner of South Carolina. So, yeah, great win for Kentucky. But you know there were circumstances at play here that helped aided that win, I would say. Yeah, well said. And again, I wanted to focus on the glass half full because players it's like still Arushia, full. I mean, you get the win. It's great. No, 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 no. You're right. That, I, that, I just meant I wanted to lead with that because I think that's something, you know, again, Kentucky is not going to win the NCAA championship. Kentucky can now make the NCAA tournament this year, puts themselves in a position to where, all right, things are still alive. Halfway mark of the year, we've got conference play ahead. If you weren't a win like this, on the flip side, why you're so disappointed if you're a Florida fan is they beat Vanderbilt on the Friday before. And it was a pretty comprehensive 6-1 victory over Vanderbilt as well. And to follow that up with the 4-2 loss to Kentucky at home, that's the brutal one, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's that. You no, know, that that's the whole point. Is it's just like in a in a year where the top sixteen margins are so thin, you, you can't lose that home match. Yeah, it's brutal, right? And on the flip side, the Kentucky side breathes life into them, right? Gives them confidence going into the last half of the SEC season. And for Florida, it probably takes a little wind out of their sails, right? Coming off of that Vandy win, feeling like okay, we can kind of jockey for a top position here in the sec and this you know definitely brings them down to peg probably both in confidence but then also quite literally in the sec standings yeah well said uh obviously on the flip side vanderbilt disastrous weekend for the commodores not only do they drop that match uh to uh florida 6-1 they drop one four one at South Carolina as well. And I do think we should have a South Carolina's pretty darn solid overall now. They've done this for a couple of weeks consecutively, started conference play strong. But I mean, you look for this Vanderbilt team again. Yes, they're on the road. Yes, Florida, South Carolina are probably both top twenty-five teams, but six one and four one, like so many three setters just keep going against the Commodores. They're in a ton of tight matches and Sadly, they're just on the wrong end of them. Yeah, and that South Carolina match was likely going to be 6-1 had they played it out. Uh, that was not not close. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be more unimpressed with this Vanderbilt team. 
And I think there's a reason why these three set matches are going against them, right? I think that they lack a lot of the competitiveness and the ferocity that many of these teams have. Uh, It was very palpable at indoors and it's palpable through the screen when you watch them play in the SEC. There's a reason they're losing these matches and it's not because of the talent they have on the court. Here's the thing. Like, again, Belmore loses 7-5 in the third to Ackley. She was in that same position against Tennessee. You had, you know, Nestle lost a match in straight set here. But, you know, you had Bridget Stammel losing this one 6-2 in the third. She's on the other end of that one in Tennessee. You did have four three-set matches here in the South Carolina Vandy match. But it's the little things. Like, I don't know. I guess it's the idea of it's not that. I don't think they have it. It's just not the rhythm. Like they feel a little uncomfortable doing it. It's not, it's not second nature. If that air, if that makes sense, I guess, does it? No. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I, no, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is. Right. But yeah. like, I don't see it in person. I don't see it on the screen. Like, and the results are are playing out. It's like, to your point, they, they left it all out there in Raleigh when they played NC state and like, it's still on the court in Raleigh. Yeah, it's just it's crazy because again, this team does have talent. This team does yeah. have experience. Belmore hits a massive ball. Stamol is playing a lights out for a freshman. She has it. She is going to be a very good player. And you know, again, the Raw staffs, Lee Stevens of the world, we know what they're capable of. It's just they can't get all the pieces to click on the same day. It is remarkable to watch. Um, because again, this Vanderbilt team is good, and like if they go to again just the scenario here because of geography ohio state again and we're to hypothetically beat them in the round of 32 and get to a round of 16 i don't know if i'd be shocked still this if they you know again if that match was held next weekend i would be shocked if that happened so a brutal weekend for vanderbilt a good weekend for south carolina though you get the win over vandy you follow that up with a scrappy 4-3 win over kentucky uh i thought it was again i thought it was a notable week of action certainly once again in the sec but we talk about this tier conversation the halfway mark keeping track who's in who's not Top eight is obviously the most notable thing, but top 16 matters as well, because if you are top 16, you host the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. And I want to discuss some of the results that certainly had top 16 implications over the course of the past weekend. Let's start with a couple of results in the ACC. Georgia Tech and Clemson both get 6-1 wins over Syracuse. Maybe we pulled the Syracuse trigger a hair too soon, Jay. Man, by you, we, I mean me. That was me. No doubt about that. I mean, well, we Georgia, just said they would make the tournament. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I was ready to give them a top 16 look. I think I was starting to get intrigued. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a good win for Georgia Tech, who's the best nine and six team I've seen in a while. Um, I think they're top 16 good, even if they might not, even if they, I guess they really have to earn a big upset uh, here moving forward to crack into the top 16. But credit to Georgia Tech, like that's a good win. And then again, Clemson, good win for both teams. Yeah, Georgia Tech is always, at least in the past few years, the litmus test for top 25, right? If you can't beat them, you're probably not a top 25 team. I don't think the Syracuse is a top 25 team. There's a lot of magic that they can make happen up in Syracuse indoors. That Miami win will probably, you know, help them for quite some time. Um, but yeah, good win for Georgia Tech. And they're they're beating the teams that they need to beat. Um, and they're losing to the ones that you would expect them to lose to. The Georgia Tech top three, Lee Bilchev Jane so far this year, a combined 34 and seven in singles matches. Wow. That top three can compete with anyone. They're exceptional. Yeah. Uh, and that's without Ava Harstra, right? Yeah. Who used to play in the top of this lineup, I believe is out for injuries. So um, th- that's another blow. And all, you know, two of those players, I would say, uh, is um, have really stepped up. Yeah. Well said. Well, let's move on to another ACC team, Virginia. 4-3 win over Notre Dame. In Charlottesville, uh, you look for this match, you know, comes down to Heba Shake, the 6-4-7-6 clinch at four. You got to love, again, all these matches in straight sets, 4-3 result. I mean, I suppose you credit Virginia, who does drop the doubles point in this match. They get wins at the 2-3-4-6 positions. Virginia 
I don't know. Are they, can they still, is their path to top eight for them in your mind? Top eight? No. I mean, it would require them, I think, to run the table uh, in the ACC at this point. Um, but there's a little bit of a softness, right, in terms of that like eight, nine, 10, 11 range. So if they do, right, if they can, if they get another, if they beat NC State or they get another good win in the ACC tournament, there's a path there. Um, I'm just not sure if they'll be able to execute on it. Do we know if we're going to see Annabelle Shoe again this year? Well, Annabelle Shoe is out of the shoe. Uh, from what I can tell, she was in a boot. Um, so we'll see. I I think the prog- prognosis is positive, um, but that will be a huge element of whether or not they can make a top eight seed. Yeah, I mean the other thing is they are getting Melody Collard a bunch of repetitions. She, she's six and two so far in dual match plays. Yadato's eight and five. Shakes eleven and two. They have options at the bottom of their lineup. They do have depth, and so you know again, Virginia's already beaten Duke this season they're going to have to get some big wins no doubt about it but don't count them out of that top eight conversation quite yet and certainly they are very firmly in the hunt for top 16 let's move over to the pac 12 because i thought it was an interesting weekend of pac 12 results first of all in this top 16 discussion has to be washington right washington 12 and 3 overall on the year Wins now over Baylor, USC, Arizona State, Arizona, UCLA. They're undefeated in conference play. They got the big 4-3 win over Vanderbilt at the indoors. Here's the problem. How valuable is that Vanderbilt win now moving forward? Do they have to run the table in the Pac-12? to be? You know, how many teams are the Pac-12 going to get? Is, it, is there room for both Stanford and Washington? Or is that dual match going to be a top 16 pick-up? I think it could be a top 16 pick them. I think there's enough meat on the bone for on the Stanford schedule that they can secure themselves a top 16 seed. Now, if they lose to Washington, then Washington's probably in. So, but it, so Washington has to win that match. That's what you're telling me. I think so. Yeah. You look, they've already beaten again, USC and UCLA. You look at this week's rankings, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but Washington right now currently sitting at exactly 16. I mean, they play Cal. That's not going to mean much on the rankings, but they still do have Cal on the schedule. They've got a San Diego match this weekend. That's not invaluable, uh, but certainly not the most valuable. Yeah, at Stanford, April 14th. Circle it on your calendars. That's a must-have for Washington. Although, for what it's worth, that UCLA win, I think, is going to continue to become more valuable. And you look for UCLA, 4-1 victory for them. Over USC, this match was on USC's campus, which is worth noting because they do play the home and home uh, for this UCLA team. They take the doubles point. They get victories at the one, two, four, and six spots. Uh, Excuse me, one, two, and six spots. These freshmen for UCLA, or I should say these underclassmen, because Kimmy Hans gets a good two and three win over Snow Han as well. Now, Tough day. Uh, or I think I said one, two, and six. That's completely incorrect. They got wins at two. Um, what am I missing? I see doubles. I see two. I see six. Yeah, and one, which doesn't one, say win, but the, the retirement. retirement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Maddie Sieg, which uh, obviously disappointing because those are two of the better freshmen in the country. 4-1 win, though, for the Bruins. They back up what we saw uh, in their victory over Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, tough bounce back for for USC after the loss against Pepperdine to come out and play UCLA, UCLA riding that momentum from that Ohio state match. Look, I was going to make this comment about the top 16 in the PAC 12. A lot of it depends on if you have a UCLA starting to creep back up the rankings, right? That becomes more and more valuable for Washington. In that case, Um, Stanford hasn't played UCLA yet, but if they were to get that win again, that's starting to feed into the points there. But this UCLA team is starting to look a little bit more what you would expect to see on paper, right? Getting Vagramov, who is kind of the the senior leader on this team, back playing in the form that we're used to seeing her in and starting to get more production from, you know, Tian at number one, who's looked extremely good, you know, Kimmy Hans at two. So they have a lot of pieces. And when you look on paper, there's no reason that this UCLA team isn't a top 25, you know, competing for a top 16 seed. Yeah, and you're right. Vagramov up a set in 4-5 on Emma Cherney, the freshman. Vanessa Ong gets a really good win over Koenig at uh, 6. The one that, you know, again, on the USC side of things, Cayetano 
a three. She gets a good win over uh, Katan's right. No doubt about that. They had Naomi Chung in the lineup. She was at the five spot. She was in a third set. Again, this USC team, they're just running out of matches on their schedule. Yes, they have another one against UCLA on the road. They've got Stanford coming to town this Saturday. I don't want to say those are must-win matches to get into the NCAA tournament because this team is probably fine. Big picture, you look for USC right now, currently sitting at number 38. But, like, I mean, again, if they won out from here, including the Pac-12 championship, I still don't think they'd have enough to be top 16. Top 16, they might. Just there's It'd so be very many, close. Like, they yeah. would have to take that Washington spot. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think the Pac-12 is getting more than two teams, right, in the yeah. top 16 seed. Um, but there's enough in there. If you win out, right, and you get another, you get a win over Washington in the tournament, you get a win over a- ASU, right, you get a win over Stanford, you know, another win over UCLA. There's meat on the bone. I have a but, smile on my face. I have a tangent for you. Okay. Who would you who would you rather not face first two rounds of the NCAA tournament? Who would you rather not have as the floater coming to your district, your region? Excuse me. I watched the Hunger Games recently on Netflix, so district was in mind. Coming to your region, USC or Vanderbilt? Who would you want less? USC. You'd want? Wow. Why? Because they bring in the best player? Yeah. I, 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 I mean, they bring in the best player, right, in Maddie Sieg. So I don't know who my number one is in this situation, but that could be a loss. And then look, at some point, you expect Snow Han and Aaron Cayetano to start playing much better. I think Cayetano's starting to trend in that direction. If she stays at three, that's a tough out for any three in the country. So I, I would feel better about, I would feel more concerned if I was a team that my match, my match calculus is much stricter look i mean south carolina almost just swept all six singles from vandy i'm if i'm any top 16 seed i think i can beat vandy emma charney is a year away from being the new lisa czar there's a hot take for you i really like the freshman's game i love the grind i saw from her against tim chiwat i know that one win against her but like lose that match your freshman year look at what she's going to be as a junior i'm i'm a fan you're right like i know that's crazy to say i think that's the right take and that's why I wanted to ask you because I'm always scared when we agree. But no, keep your eye on the Pac-12. Again, dangerous teams, even if they aren't all highly ranked. Let's talk about a Big Ten result. That certainly caught my eye. Ohio State 7-0 over Wisconsin. Now, it's always tough to play in the Ty Tucker Tennis Center, but you look for this Ohio State team for them to take doubles, get straight set wins from the you know the players that have carried them all week long. Kantos, Ratliff. Brisniak, one, two, five. Of course, they also get a straight set win from Marzal Boulay. Gets a big three set win at three just for her confidence. And then we see Akank Shaban in at the number six spot. We have not seen much of the Columbia transfer in singles. She gets in. She gets a win. Again, Wisconsin been Wisconsin been has been frisky. That's how you say that in English. They were not unable to overcome the biggest challenge. Go to Columbus, get a win. Yeah, at this point, it's almost hard to take any stock in the wins that happened there in Columbus because it's like, I mean, those courts are so fast. The environment is so tough. Most teams are just so unfamiliar with it. Uh, I do think Ohio State's the better team, so I think the, the better team won. But, you know, we'll see if these teams face each other again in the Big Ten championship. Wisconsin feels a little bit to me like an Auburn or some of these other teams that were ranked highly when we're only counting a few ranked wins. And as we start to go deeper and deeper into their countable wins, I think we'll start to see Wisconsin fall off. Will we see Coley Allen in singles moving forward? Or do you think we might see some experimentation for Ohio State? Well, we talked about that after their UCLA loss. They have yeah. to experiment, right? Sure. They they have to move things around. Now, whether Coley Allen is out of the lineup or if she's more in that 5-6 spot, you know, that feels probably like a better spot for her. Yeah, it's interesting to see the experimentation again. Marzal, the good win at four as well. Good, It was a good bounce back for the Buckeyes to yep. beat them definitively at home. That's how you'd expect them to bounce back. That's how they do it. They're going to be top 16. Too many good wins. That went over Georgia alone. But again, they've racked up a bunch. Uh, they'll be fine moving forward. Texas gets a good win. 6-1 over Kansas. Probably knocks Kansas firmly out of top 16 contention. Not that they were ever in it. But, you know, they played Iowa State last or a couple weeks ago. We talked about that. You know, now that they've lost to Texas as well. 
probably too tough for them, but it's a really good bounce back for this Longhorn team. And, you know, again, slowly but surely, Rivkin gets a win at six. Kieran continues to look really good at the number one spot. That's an impressive straight set victory over in Ganui. I mean, again, overall, they drop doubles, six singles victories on the day, uh, three of them in straight sets. It got tough. It's a good win, though, for this Texas team. Yeah, good win. Their ranking will will appreciate it. Look, this is a Texas team where, I mean, I don't know if they can be top eight. I think that's the question. I don't know if there's enough there, and I think there's probably only one spot for the Big 12 in the top eight, and it's going to be tough. We could have a lot of non-top eight teams that historically would be a title contender, or even this year are title contenders, but the way that these rankings are falling are just not in that you know, double host spot. They're going to play Iowa state, which is this weekend. We'll talk about that in a second. They still have at NC state on their schedule as well. Yeah. Sneaky. You do that. You beat an Oklahoma, you beat two of Oklahoma state, Oklahoma and Iowa state on your way to a big 12 title. Maybe you sneak in, but that's a lot of winning the rest of the way. And it's a narrow path. Yeah. That gets them in. It It boots Iowa state out. Yeah. Right. Like there's yeah. room for one in the Big 12 right now. That's very, very fair. And it will be fascinating. Again, we're going to talk about that matchup in a little bit. But no, I mean, those were the big ones with top 16 implications. In my mind, I do want to rapid fire through some other results before we get to our rankings, get to the week ahead. USC did get a win 4 2 over Princeton. They needed it. And again, 38 in the rankings. They're holding firm. Any particular more USC thoughts or can I throw another one at you? Yeah, throw another one. Oregon, 4-2 over Utah. A little bit of a surprise. I mean, you know, the U- this Utah team coming off of that good win, well, the, the win over Cal, which historically program-wise is a good win. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wanted to add, by the way, another good one, Kansas 4-3 over Baylor. Baylor, though, did get a win this weekend. I believe it was the 500th for uh, head coach for their head coach. And so again, uh, massive credit to uh, the Baylor bears. That's quite the milestone. Um, all right. Arizona four over Illinois. That one surprised me. That one really surprised me. Uh, and uh, dare we uh, use that to question the strength of the these big 10 teams. Oh, here we go. Rice four, three over Charlotte upset. Certainly Charlotte team is 30 in the country. Yeah, and riding kind of a you know career best year so far in program history. So that was definitely an upset for that Rice team. Yeah, the other one that surprised me, BC 4-1 over Clemson. That was the one just Clemson's Clemson's not that uh, they're not top 25. They are NCAA tournament good. I didn't expect that loss. I didn't expect that loss either. I thought Clemson had played a lot of the ACC schools tough. Uh, what even if they were losing matches, I thought, you know, they were going three sets and they were still competitive in a lot of those matches. I was very surprised um, by that loss. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all of that said, those are the most notable results from the past week in the Division One women's college tennis world. With all those in mind, let's move now to our cracked rackets rankings and look, not a ton of movement. I'll be honest, I didn't change a single team in my top 10 from last week to this week. I know AM got uh, knocked off Miami, but I still had Miami pretty firmly at that 10 spot. I'm not sure we had a ton of movement in our rankings this week overall. I think Stanford re-enters them. That's the big note here. But North Carolina 1, AM 2, Georgia 3, Pepperdine 4, Iowa State 5, Michigan 6, NC State 7, Duke 8, Virginia 9, Stanford 10. I mean, the notable teams missing, I would say, are Tennessee, who has a claim to 10 Miami who would have a claim to 10 and maybe Texas who has a claim to 10. I feel pretty fine though with this overall, what say you? Yeah, I think this is the right group. I think looks like we're not giving Michigan as much respect as the ITA rankings are giving them. Um, other than that, I, I think that this is, this is right. It's interesting to see those kind of three ACC schools NC state, Duke, Virginia um, down there at the bottom Yeah, and for the record, the comparison for the ITA rankings, North Carolina at the number one spot there, A&M two, Michigan three, again, a little bit of a difference, three spots higher than where we have them, Georgia four, Pepperdine five, Iowa State six, Ohio State seven, NC State eight, Virginia nine, Duke at the number 10 spot. 
Let's have the tier conversation, though, because for me, I think we now are at a point where we can reestablish who are the national championship contenders. What what does the inner circle look like? Let's keep that ITA top 10 on the board because that'll be the rankings obviously ultimately used. Is North Carolina the only tier one national title contender or are they tier one a in the sense that, yeah, they're ahead of the field, but you still think they could be beaten. Man, so much nuance in this. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, they're tier one. I would okay. then put all the other schools in a tier two, okay. but that doesn't mean that, only North Carolina can win this thing, right? Well, I mean, tier one is my definition of you can win a national championship. Now, there's 1A a, versus yeah. B is fine. Sorry, carry on. I mean, this is semantics, but uh, yeah. Okay, fine. Tier 1A is North Carolina. Okay, I agree with you. And I do think they're on a, a half a tier of their own. But if they got beaten on a given day by any of these teams, I think we have seen a level capable of it. Would you still keep AM tier 1B? Yeah, so this is tier one B, A and M. Yes. Michigan. I'm fine keeping them there. I I know where my cutoff is now. I don't know if I'm ready to say Michigan yet. Oh, I'll do it just because how could I not? Georgia? Yep. I agree. Pepperdine? Yep. I agree. Iowa State? This is where I stop. Even would you include NC State? Not right now. Would you include Virginia? No. Duke? No. Auburn? No. Tennessee? No. Miami? No. Texas? Stop means stop. No. <laughs> well, what about Stanford? Um, I, put, I, I knew put I'd Stanford get there in eventually. this. Yeah, I put Stanford in that list, Tier 1B. Okay. And again, so, these are going to be fluid, right? These are not like you can't move into Tier 1B. But for a for team sure. like NC State, like... They just haven't, they have not looked like a tier 1B contender. Yeah. I think I'd go AM, Michigan, Georgia, Pepperdine. I'd still have NC State there on principle. And I'd have Duke there as my Stanford of just, I know what they're going to be capable of. I've watched them get better. I think the pieces are starting to round into form. So that would be my inner circle, the six teams I would turn to right now. But, you know, again, Iowa State's right there. Texas, Stanford, right there. Virginia, uh, right there as well. Just because I don't want to get yelled at. Oklahoma, right there. Uh, just, again, with depending on how they round out the season, I still think there are plenty of frisky teams but yeah, I'd say six in the, like six teams in the inner circle right now. That feels about right at the halfway mark. And, you know, again, with that in mind, let's end today's show by looking at the week ahead because all of these matches now have national championship implications. All of these matches uh, certainly worth keeping an eye on as a college tennis fan. And, you know, again, I divided my list of matches I'm keeping an eye on into tiers this week because I am watching so many. I have two tier one Drop everything that you're doing. Make sure you have make time to watch these matches. And again, we'll as the lights go out on Jay, well, the lights will go out on this show pretty soon as well. My tier one matches, Jay. Iowa State at Texas, Tennessee at Georgia. You could only pick one of those. Which one are you watching and why? So you have Iowa State at Texas, and then the second one was Tennessee, Tennessee at, Georgia. at Georgia. Yeah. Well, I think you have to go Tennessee at Georgia because we've seen Iowa State at Texas. It's going to okay. look different, but we have seen that match. Okay. So then make the make the case for Tennessee-Georgia. What are you looking forward to most? Well, look, this is a question of if Tennessee is tier one in the SEC, right? And I think that given the absence of Anya Hertel for Georgia, right, this is a Tennessee team that is – certainly positioned well to take advantage of that potential lack of depth for this Georgia team, although Georgia's is very deep. I think the biggest question for Tennessee will be, can they hang in those top three positions or will they need to rely on depth? So I'm very curious to see what this looks like. It's also, you know, Georgia's biggest test since indoors, right? So I'm curious to see how they stack up against Tennessee. The Iowa State-Texas match, you know, you could just tell me the result, and I think I could know know how the match played out. 
See, I'm going to go the other way. I think I know enough about these Tennessee and Georgia teams. I know the pieces. I know the characters. I know that match is going to be really good. I still don't know how good Iowa State or Texas is. And if Iowa State goes to Austin and beats this Texas team again, I mean, come on now. Like, at that point, they are in the inner circle. At that point, you have to look at Obi and Kadlikova and all the pieces that have come together so fluidly this year and just say, yep, this team's got a recipe. They know how to put four points on the board. They're top eight good. That's why that match is more intriguing to me because I think Georgia's top eight good. I think Tennessee's right on the precipice of that conversation as well. And if they end up as a top eight seed, you know, seven or eight, it's not going to shock me. I I just if Iowa State ends the year top eight, if they go to Texas and win, I, I mean again, that's the one I want to watch most closely. So uh, that is extraordinarily fascinating to me. That's the one I will have my eye on. But I got a bunch of tier twos as well. You want me to rapid fire through them? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll give you the match. You give me a thought. Virginia at Miami, the race for you know number two in the ACC. A and M at Auburn. Uh, I think A and M rolls. Well, let's see. Again, they they should roll, but at Auburn after a tough Auburn weekend, how does this team bounce back from that? If they take the doubles point, surely they're not going to lose four straight set singles matches again, right? Um, that'll be fascinating. Oklahoma at Pepperdine. Oof, this is an interesting one. Uh, it's going to be all about Oklahoma's four through six, and if they can steal one of those top three. Yeah, I, if you're Oklahoma, it's got to be now uh, in that quest, not just for top eight, but certainly top 16 as well. Michigan at Florida. Uh, I hope Dahlstrom is back. I hope she's back and healthy and we get Florida's best. Uh, this is a good test. I love the scheduling um, from Coach Bernstein on this. Huge credit to her for taking advantage of spring break, heading down to Florida, getting some outdoor play in. It's much needed before they return to frigid and indoor tennis. Yeah, speaking of which, Wisconsin at Michigan. Wisconsin at Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Turn back around and play Wisconsin indoors back in Michigan. I think it's a Wednesday, Friday scenario, Wednesday, Sunday, maybe. Oh, well, that scheduling is now a brutal. Uh, I mean, Michigan should, it, Michigan should do what Ohio state did to Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. Stanford at USC, UCLA. Again, if Stanford wants to be and thinks that they're a top eight team, they need to roll through these matches. Cal at UCLA, USC. Uh, who knows? Uh, That's yeah, exactly I, the response. <laughs> it's just like, who knows what we're going to see in those matches? So no idea. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Uh, again, Northern California, Southern California battles that we've got going on this weekend in the Pac-12. I'll have my eyes on them. The tier three, Washington, and Oklahoma at San Diego, UCF at Georgia Tech. Wake at Notre Dame. More broadly, a lot of good college tennis across the board. Of course, we'll have college tennis broadcasts for you Friday, Sunday, ACC, SEC Network Plus, ESPN Plus as well. We'll have Big Ten coverage for you on Sunday over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as well. We also, of course, do have our weekly SEC roundup uh, from our newest writer, Archit Suresh. So be sure to check that out on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Archit does a great job breaking down everything as it unfolds. Jay, before we wrap tonight's show, I know the lights are out on you, but any final thoughts? I hope the lights come back on. Yeah, very well said. Well, then with all of that in mind, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at LS, who we are immensely grateful for, and of course, for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.